This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up this Sunday morning. Dick Donahue with you here on KGMI. Wealth advisor, certified financial planner, credit investment fiduciary, all those good things here to serve you. Let's start talking about the housing outlook for 2023. The housing sector was a huge and early beneficiary of the super loose monetary policy of 20 and 21. But once the Fed started tightening, housing took the lead downward as well. This isn't a repeat of 2006 to 11 housing bust, but it will drag on. Don't expect any real recovering housing until at least late 23 or early 24. Home sales and prices will continue to drag in 23, particularly in the existing home market. And from May of 20 until June of 22, both National Case-Shiller Price Index and the FHFA Price Index rose more than 40%. But since June of 22, Case-Shiller is down 2.4% and the FHFA is down 1.1%. The biggest declines so far have been out west in San Francisco, Seattle, Phoenix, San Diego, and Las Vegas. But every major metropolitan area is down in the past three months. No exceptions. The drop in home prices should continue. Prices got too high relative to rents and need to fall more to better reflect rental values. We expect a total decline peak to bottom of the 5 to 10% range, nothing like the 25% drop in 2006 to 11. Why a smaller drop this time around? First of all, compared to the average of the past 40 years, home prices are already close to fair value when measured against construction costs. Second, there is no massive excess inventory of homes unlike during the prior housing bust. And unlike during the subprime era, the vast majority of homeowners with mortgages are locked in at extremely low fixed rates, which means that they will be very reluctant to sell. And the real effect of the change in interest rates is evident in the existing home market. Sales hit 6.65 million annual rate in January of 21, the fastest pace since 2006. But by November of 22, sales were down to a 4.09 million annual rate, a drop of 38.5% so far. Meanwhile, a decline in pending home sales in November, which is contracts on existing homes, signals another drop in existing home sales in December. Existing home buyers have two major problems. First, much higher mortgage rates, which means substantially higher monthly payments. And assuming a 20% down payment, the rise in mortgage rates and home prices since December of 21 amounts to a 52% increase in monthly payments on a new 30-year mortgage for the median existing home. And meanwhile, it's hard to convince a current homeowner with a low fixed rate mortgage to sell. If anything, it makes sense for them to ask for even more money if they have to take out a new mortgage elsewhere at a much higher rate. In other words, sellers should now want more for their homes, while buyers want to pay significantly less. 
This won't change soon, and so expect existing sales to be even weaker in 23 than last year. And new home sales are also down substantially since the COVID peak, but should find a bottom sooner. The key is that with a new home, the seller is a contractor. Also, housing has been underbuilt in the previous decade. The average price for a new home will likely fall, but we need more of them, and more houses will be likely to be put in rental pools. But what's important to remember is that this business cycle isn't normal. COVID led to a massive surge in government stimulus, both monetary and fiscal, to fight widespread and overly draconian shutdowns. Housing is rarely a bright spot in recession years, and this year will be no different. But don't expect a catastrophe like the prior bust, and once the recession is over, housing will rebound more, much more swiftly than after the Great Recession in 2008 and 2009. Let's take a look at our global roundup for the week, and we saw that global equities were higher. And the yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury note declined to 3.6%, while the price of a barrel of West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil fell 450 to 74.75, and volatility as measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX as we know it, rose from 21 to 21 and a half. So let's look at the macro news. The U.S. labor market is robust, but the wage gains are slow. Friday's employment report, which I'll get into more detail, in the United States was a mixed bag, but the unexpected drop in the unemployment rate from 37 to 3.5% will certainly not be welcomed by the U.S. Federal Reserve. In December, the economy added a more than expected 223,000 jobs, though downward revisions to the prior two months offset the upward surprise. The central bank will, however, take comfort in a rise in the labor force participation rate to 62.3% from 62.1% and be heartened by a smaller gain in average hourly earnings of 4.6% from a downwardly revised 4.8% in November. So taken together with data earlier in the week showing that U.S. job openings remain extremely elevated, there is little in the report to change the Fed's hawkish outlook in the near term. And the U.S. service sector slowed rapidly in December. For months, it's been a widespread divergence between the S&P Global Services Sector Purchasing Managers Index and the Institute of Supply Management's measurement. The divergence narrowed markedly on Friday as the ISM index tumbled from a robust rating of 56.5 in November to a mild contraction at 49.6 in December. And on Wednesday, the S&P Global U.S. Services PMI picked up to 44.7 in December from 44.4. U.S. Treasury yields slipped after the data's release. 2022 was a year of double-digit declines, and with few exceptions, most major global equities indices fell at least 10% in 22, and many indices fell much more. The S&P 500 posted a total return of minus 18.1%. The MSI ACW I fell 18.4%, while the EAFE, that's the Europe and Far East Index, and Emerging Markets Indices fell 14.5% and 20%, respectively. As investors know, bonds offered portfolios little protection, as exemplified by the Bloomberg Global Aggregate Index posing an 11.2% loss last year. On the bright side, researchers at Deutsche Bank 
found that big down years in U.S. bond markets, which they defined as featuring yield rises of more than 70 basis points, were followed up by years in 15 out of 21 occurrences. And the Federal Open Market Committee minutes show Fed not considering a pivot. For months, markets have taken every grain of evidence of moderating inflation as a sign that the Fed will soon halt its rate hikes and start cutting them shortly after that. But the minutes of the December FOMC meeting released Wednesday show that the central bank is contemplating no such thing. Indeed, they indicate that no member of the rate-setting committee expects to cut rates in 23. The committee also made clear that higher stock prices and lower bond yields, easier financial conditions in the Fed's parlance could cause it to have to hike further than expected if those conditions bolster economic activity and slow inflation's decline. While goods and prices are moderating rapidly, the Fed remains concerned that a robust labor market will boost continued wage growth. And on Thursday, the International Monetary Fund warned that the U.S. has not yet turned the corner on inflation and urged the central bank to stay its course on future rate hikes. And the European energy crisis fears are easing. Concerns over the potential for blockouts and the rationing of natural gas have eased amidst unseasonably mild temperatures in much of Europe. Stockpiles remain above average, Bloomberg reported this week. And while prices are much higher than usual for this time of year, they're way below the peak levels hit last summer when Russian supplies were halted. Lower energy prices should ease the cost of living crisis that swept across Europe in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And in the U.S., natural gas prices declined this week, too, falling to an 18-month low amid relatively mild winter weather. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake up on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. Hi, Marty Boonster here with Columbia Fire. And every winter, we see property damage from burst pipes and frozen sprinkler systems. Don't let this happen to you. Avoid this costly mistake and get your dry systems winterized by Columbia Fire. We work in all aspects of commercial winterization. Schools, office buildings, industrial, high-rises, you name it, we've done it. Protect your property and get your free winterization consultation today from Columbia Fire. Learn more at ColumbiaFire.net. That's ColumbiaFire.net. When I think about my grandparents, it takes me back to warm memories of meals shared around their dining room table and laughter exchanged around their fireplace. Hi, I'm Brad Barron, CEO and fourth-generation Barron at Barron Heating, AC, Electrical, and Plumbing. Over 50 years ago, my grandfather installed Barron's first fireplace in one of Whatcom County's newest developments, Sudden Valley. Grandpa Dan took great pride in his craftsmanship, ensuring that every fireplace or stove he installed was truly the heart of his customer's home. Today, Barron continues continues this tradition by providing beautifully crafted hearth products through its Firelight by Baron division. Featuring America's best-known brands of stoves, fireplaces, and inserts, a Baron Firelight expert can help you build your perfect flame. Visit a Baron showroom today and browse our endless options tailored to your style and budget. Plus, save up to $300 with year-end specials good through January 31st. Let us set the stage for you to create memories that lasts for generations. Firelight by Baron, a tradition of warmth and beauty since 1972. Our mission, improving lives. This is how we do every day. We be grinding and if you want to come and test us. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. 
Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. I want to put a plug in for next Saturday's show. I mentioned this briefly on yesterday's show, but we're going to have Patrick Connor with us next Saturday. That would be on the uh, 14th. And Patrick is the state director for the National Federation of Independent Business. And he'll be talking about issues that he sees affecting business in this year's legislative session, bills that are going to be brought up, uh, bills that may find you may find some interest in, bills you may want to get involved with your legislators with. And so look forward to Patrick joining us again. He's joined us for the last two years. We expect it'll be a very interesting discussion. And we're Asset Advisors. We're located out in Ferndale on the Pacific Highway next to Wilson Furniture in the Pacific Commerce Center. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101 Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number is 360-733-1200. And don't forget to check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Check out under Insights. A lot of really good information there, including an hour-long or 45-minute presentation on the laws changes that were taking place because of the Secure Act 2. We presented that for our clients on uh, Thursday of this week. It's available now on the website under Insights. Check it out. Okay, let's continue with this week's global economic roundup, and we find that bye-bye negative yields. As of Thursday morning, for the first time since 2014, no bond in Bloomberg's database carried a negative yield. At the peak, two years ago, over 4,000 issues worth $18.4 trillion had negative yields. The widening of the Bank of Japan's yield curve control ban and the belief that its super loose monetary policy will end later this year has helped drag the remaining negative yielders back above zero. Japanese Prime Minister Kushida said this week that his government will review its inflation accord with the Bank of Japan when the central bank's new governor takes office in early April, setting the stage for a policy shift. And a few quick hits from around the world. We saw that lower energy prices helped bring down Eurozone inflation from 10.1% year-over-year in November to 9.2% in December. However, stripping out food and energy prices, prices rose to a record 5.2% last month, which should keep the European Central Bank in a hockey's posture. And top U.S. banking regulators, including the Fed and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, issued a statement on Tuesday highlighting the risks posed to the banking system by crypto assets. Among the perils focused on were fraud among the market participants, legal uncertainties around the custody practices, contagion risks within the crypto ecosystem, and its lack of mature, robust risk management and governance. And amid the rapid spread in China of the COVID virus after the restrictions were suddenly lifted, the World Health Organization said that two known Omicron variants were driving the wave of infection, but no new variants have been reported. In recent days, mobility and data of China has shown an increase in activity, suggesting that the initial reopening wave has crested. And this week, train travel in the United Kingdom was again interrupted by striking railroad workers. This strike is expected to last until Sunday, the 8th of January. In recent weeks, along with 
rail workers, nurses, airport staff, postal workers, and paramedics have undertaken some of the most widespread industrial action since the early 1980s as wages have failed to keep pace with rising inflation. And let's go ahead and get into that December employment report. And on the surface, the job market looks good. But the details of the report warn of trouble ahead. First, the good news. Non-farm payrolls rose 223,000 in December, beating the consensus expected 203,000 and ending the year with a total gain of 4.5 million. But meanwhile, civilian unemployment, which is an alternative, although more volatile measure of jobs that include small business startups, rose 717,000 in December, ending the calendar year with a total gain of 3.2 million. In addition, the labor force workers and those looking for work grew by 439,000 in December, ending the year with a total gain of 2.6 million. So if we put it all together, we finished the year with an unemployment rate of 3.5%, tying the low so far for the recovery from COVID. But here's why the report signals some trouble ahead. Temporary help service, which is jobs, temporary fell 35,000 in December, the fifth straight monthly decline to a level below a year ago. And consistent declines in temp jobs usually happen late in a business cycle. And although jobs increased in December, the total number of hours worked did not. Total hours ticked down one-tenth of one percent for the month, the second consecutive decline. And the loss in hours in December was the equivalent to losing about 125,000 jobs. Another way of thinking about it is that many employers were still hiring, but workers didn't have as much to do. And that's not sustainable. Some bond market vigilantes were happy that average hourly wages rose a moderate three-tenths of 1% in December, while the year-ago comparison showed a gain of 4.6% versus 5.6% in March. They think this means the Federal Reserve has less work to do, but the core CPI, excluding food and energy, is likely to be up about 5.9% in the last year, which suggests that the Fed is going to keep raising short-term rates in the months ahead. The slowdown in wage growth also spells trouble for workers' purchasing power. Combining wages and hours worked, total private sector wages are up 6.6% from a year ago, roughly the same as overall consumer prices, and that's with 4.5 million more workers. So bottom line, beneath the good headlines, the job market is getting weaker, but not weak enough to stop the Fed from raising rates further in the months ahead. And the November International Trade Report also came out this week, and the trade deficit in goods and services came in at $61.5 billion in November, which is the smallest in 26 months. Both imports and exports declined, but imports dropped by a much larger amount. Some may look at this report as a huge win as the trade deficit came in at the lowest level in a few years. But with all the matters in the total volume of trade, which is imports plus exports, which signals how much businesses and consumers interact across the U.S. border. And that measure fell by $26.6 billion in November. So the report adds the signs of a slowdown, not only in the U.S., but around the world. But even with a large drop in November, the total volume of trade is still up 5.8% versus a year ago. 
Unfortunately, the increase in the past year is driven not only by more goods and services, but also higher prices. You need to note that Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the easing of COVID restrictions in China may affect trade patterns for some time. The good news is that the supply chain problems look to be improving across the board. For example, Capital Kip, the executive director of the Marine Exchange of Southern California, declared that the container ship backup ended on November 22nd. That took 25 months, but things are finally back to normal with the ports of L.A. and Long Beach. And in some cases, weights have just shifted to other ports, but daily freight rates are also falling rapidly as demand has also weakened. A large part of this is due to a collapse in manufacturing orders in China, which has led to 21% decline in the total vessel container volume between August and November, according to supply chain research around firm Project 44. In the months to come, China manufacturing will be buffeted by the easing of COVID restrictions, which is good, and a temporary spike of COVID cases, which is bad, as the country suffers through cases postponed by overly strict measures in the past couple of years. Also notable in the report, the dollar value of U.S. petroleum exports exceeded imports again. So far this year, U.S. petroleum exports have exceeded imports in 8 of 11 months. But exports of U.S. crude oil and refined products continue to huffer near record highs, meaning that much of the release from the strategic petroleum reserve is just flowing overseas. Again, as I've commented in the past, that makes no sense at all. In another news, the ADP employment report showed a gain of 235,000 private sector jobs in December. Also, initial unemployment claims fell 19,000 last week to 204,000, while continuing claims declined by 24,000 to 1.694 million. In other recent news, cars and light trucks were sold at a 13.3 million annual rate in December, down 6.3% from November. For all of the December 22, Sales were 13.8 million, the slowest pace of sales since 2011, and down 7.9% from 2021. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be back after a quick break. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI traffic alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. Keep up with what's happening in Linden with Bo Wild and the Linden Hometown News on KGMI. Further north on the guys, if you look back toward Linden's door, you'll see some clearing and some building going on. There is a fuel station and stores going in there. It's brought to you by Rustler's Front Street Grill and the Rusty Wagon in Linden. Stop by today for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Downtown on Front Street and on Hannigan, just north of Pole Road. Bo knows Linden and so will you with the Linden Hometown News. Mondays on the KGMI Morning. News. This is Steve Berger, Lead Counselor and Director of Contact Counseling Recovery Services. Despite being a fourth-generation Whatcom County resident from a solid, established family, when I was struggling with alcohol and drug addiction, my family didn't know where to turn to help. By the grace of God and a recovery program, I was able to get sober and have devoted the last 34 years of my life helping others find recovery from addiction. 
If you or a family member is struggling with substance abuse, please contact us at 360-671-3277 or contactcounseling.com. Ready to put some skin in the game? The only sports book north of Snohomish County is now open at Silver Reef Casino Resort. Get in the game with baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and your other favorite sports. Visit Portage Bay Sportsbook and Bar and place your bets today. Sportsbook open daily at 9 a.m. Betting kiosks open 24-7. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I-5, exit 260. We've got that. At Silver Reef Casino Resort, we've got that. Escape the hustle and bustle of the city and get ready for a fun and relaxation-filled getaway. Luxury hotel rooms? Yep. Championship golf? Mm-hmm. Top-rated casino with all the best slots and table games? Yes and yes. World-class dining at the region's best and Wine Spectator award-winning steakhouse? Yes, please. The total package is only missing one thing. You. Silver Reef Casino Resort. Located off I-5, exit 260. We've got that. This is Heidi Person, General Manager of the Cascade Radio Group, with a look at some good news in our community that we like to call the upside. The Whatcom Dispute Resolution Center, or WDRC, is a local nonprofit dedicated to providing constructive and collaborative approaches to conflict. This past October, the UDRC honored five remarkable individuals, organizations, programs, and projects at the 19th Annual Peace Builder Awards. In facing the challenges of the past year, each of the award winners represent unique, collaborative, and important efforts, like the Education Award, which was presented to Daniel Anderson at Assumption School for his dedication to students and families impacted by COVID-19. For a complete list of award winners, visit WhatcomDRC.org. The Upside is brought to you from a grant provided by Bayside Coin and Jewelry. They are the largest buyer and seller of gold and silver in the Northwest. Bayside Coin and Jewelry in the Iowa Business Park. If you have good news to report, email it to us at theupside at cascaderadiogroup.com. This is Russ at Linden Manor Assisted Living. While the world has changed, the needs of our seniors have not. At Linden Manor, we offer independent and assisted living, as well as memory care. It's your private apartment. You don't live at our work, we work in your home. We have 24-hour nursing staff, weekly housekeeping, three daily meals, on-site beauty salon, and activities to keep both mind and body young. Find value in community living. Visit our website at lindenmanor.com or call Janet for more information. Hey, at our startup, my team and I move at the speed of tech 24-7. And every single day, it's information overload. It's coming at me from all directions. And you know what? Bottom line, I just need the news that matters. So where do I turn? Local radio and TV. I want to hear from people who live and work in my town. They give me the real story with information I know I can rely on. So where else can I find out what's happening in my community? Weather and traffic, things that affect my family and my business. I want to stay informed by sources I trust my local radio and TV stations for the best entertainment, sports, news, traffic, and weather with no agenda and more reliable than other platforms. So if you ask me for the information I want anytime, anywhere, I stay local. Support your local station. Text RADIO to 52886 today. Furnished by the NAB and this station. Message and data rates may apply. Reply STOP to opt out. 
the latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome back to Woke Wake Up. Thick down here with you this Sunday morning here in KGMI with Woke Wake Up. Okay, continuing on with this week's economic reports, the December Institute of Supply Management Manufacturing Index report, and that sector fell further into contraction territory in December, at least in terms of sentiment, with only two of 18 industries reporting growth. Respondents' comments in December were mainly focused on worries about the pace of future activity with some customers pulling back on new orders due to worries about an economic slowdown. Notably, there were also several statements on improvements in the supply chain issues that have plagued the manufacturing sector over the last few years. This reflected in the details of the report as well. New orders fell further into contraction territory in December, which is hardly surprising given that consumers have been shifting their preferences away from goods and back towards services. However, this is giving U.S. factories time to catch up on all the existing orders that they've already have in the pipeline. The result is continued reduction in supply chain pressures. For example, supplier deliveries index fell to 45.1 in December, which is the lowest reading since 2009. And while this index is below 50, it means deliveries are speeding up. Other data also shows vast improvement in supply chains. The order backlog index remained below 50 at 41.4, in spite of the fact that the production index finally fell into contraction territory. And some of these data are still impacted by the difficulty finding skilled labor, according to survey respondents. But it seems clear that the manufacturing sector has found its way through COVID shutdown minefield. And while the employment index rose unexpectedly back into expansion at 51.4 in December, we think this may just be the result of seasonal hiring to meet year-end production and not a trend that will last. Panelists in recent months have said that they're beginning to take a pause on new hiring and allowing labor turnover to reduce headcount, with layoffs also starting to be mentioned. This is a sign that a weaker outlook for new orders may finally be hurting demand for labor in the U.S. factory sector. And finally, the prices index in the report continued to signal that inflation pressures were likely peaked in the goods sector, falling for the ninth month in a row to 39.4. And while lower prices for goods will help moderate overall inflation, we expect that the service sector will now be the main driver going forward, keeping inflation well above the Fed's 2% target. In other recent news, construction spending rose two-tenths of 1% in November with large gains in manufacturing facilities, more than offsetting declines in residential projects and roads. And December's Institute of Supply Management Non-Manufacturing Index report also came out this week. And the IMS, ISM, that's the services sector, that index surprised sharply to the downside for December, now matching the ISM Manufacturing Index in contraction, which is below 50 territory. 
Looking at the survey comments, companies cited a general slowdown in orders, and that can be seen in the movement from the New Orders Index, which dropped 45.2 from 56.0 in November. The Business Activity Index also dropped a sharp 10 points, but remains in expansion territory at 54.7. And while it's clear that businesses and consumers have been shifting resources away from goods and, and towards the still reopening service sector, tightening monetary conditions appear to be finally weighing in on the sector that has led the U.S. economy higher in 22. We believe the U.S. economy will enter a recession sometime this year as the bill for massive artificial stimulus is in 2021 becomes due. In terms of the details, the employment index fell back into contraction territory in December. Comments from employers show that some companies are starting to tighten hiring of new employees due to uncertainty about the strength of the economy this year. One piece of good news from the report was supplier deliveries index fell below 50 for the first time since 2019, signaling shorter wait times. And finally, the prices paid index declined to a still elevated 67.6. And while this is well below the peak from earlier this year, make no mistake, inflation is still a major problem in the service sector with 15 of 18 industry reporting paying higher prices in December. We expect the service sector to keep inflation trending well above the Fed's 2% target for some time. For now, the service sector remains a source of strength in the U.S. economy. Eventually, the bill will come due for the policy decisions that were made in the last few years. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Yesterday's show, I started talking about some of the changes that were made by Congress with the passing of the Secure 2.0 Act. I talked yesterday about the conversion process and the taking 529 college savings plans and being able to convert up to $35,000 in a lifetime. If you have excess money accumulated in a 529 college savings plan, you can now convert that over to a Roth IRA on a tax-free basis and some of the ideas that were there. Well, I had some other areas that I did not cover out of that report that I want to go ahead and talk about. And one of those that I've talked about in the last couple of weeks, but the fact that RMDs are getting pushed back again. And then what that means is that for the investors who are born between 50 and 59, the SECURE Act 2.0 pushes the required minimum distribution age back to 73. And those that are born between 60 or after, the new RMD beginning age is 2034 is 75. Basically, what this means is that no one has to start RMDs this year, unless for some reason you didn't start last year, for which you shouldn't be. But if you only reason you have to is if you turn 73 this year, but in theory, you should have already started RMDs last year in 2022. So it's a quirk in the legislation that's left an empty year for RMDs. The new provisions also can create a meaningful estate planning opportunity, especially for those that are younger and they don't need their distributions. And for those surviving spouses and beneficiaries who want to stretch out their RMD-free periods on inherited assets, it also is a great time for us to sit down and talking about having an extra year that we can do Roth conversions where you don't have to do any RMDs. So that, we think, is going to be a big one as we go on, especially with the decreased value in the accounts. Converting to a Roth now when the markets are down, putting to one end and paying taxes on a piece of that account, hopefully getting your growth back on the other side when the markets recover.
Okay, well, there are some new provisions that have the created estate planning opportunities I, I just mentioned. One of those are for younger, especially for those who are younger and don't need distributions, and for the surviving spouses and beneficiaries who want to stretch out their RMD periods on inherited assets. For example, beginning next year in 2024, a new Secure 2.0 provision allows surviving spouses to be treated differently for RMD purposes, effectively delaying the distributions until the surviving spouse would have reached RMD. RMD age. So if one spouse dies before RMDs begin, the surviving spouse can stretch out RMDs using the uniform lifetime table, which will produce much lower RMDs. This is going to allow the younger spouse to reflect their age, not the decedents, on those required minimum distributions. And the election should be treated as irrevocable until we know otherwise. What is most important is that the penalty-free distributions are avoiding RMDs for as long as possible. In another win for investors, the IRS created a higher threshold for 0% long-term capital gains late last year. What does that mean? Well, if investors are trying, planning on selling assets from a taxable portfolio this year, they are less likely to trigger a tax bill on those gains. So to address inflation, the IRS raised income thresholds for 0% capital gains tax, 15%, and the 20% long-term capital gains brackets for 23. Those rates are applied to profitable assets that investors sell after owning them for more than a year. So for 2023, you may qualify for zero long-term capital gains rate if you have taxable income of $44,625 or less for single filers or double that $89,250 or less for married couples filing jointly and single filers with taxable income of $44,625 to $492,300, and joint filers between $89,251 and $553,000, you qualify for a 15% long-term capital gains rate, while single filers with taxable income of $492,000 to $301,000, and joint filers with taxable income of $553,851 or more are going to pay that 20% long-term capital gains rate. And the higher income thresholds give investors more leeway to make decisions based on strategic asset allocation rather than tax avoidance. So what we see happening is because of this, this is going to kind of add some flexibility as far as our managing some of our portfolios where we've been really concerned about creating taxable gains. Of course, so the market loss drop, what we've now got ourselves down in a situation where we maybe don't have as big a loss as to worry about, but it is something to think about. Also saw an interesting piece this week that um, Elon Musk. Uh, we all know what Elon Musk has done with Twitter. Well, obviously the government's doing their best to get back at him because they basically angered him. They handed out welcome news to automakers like Hyundai Motor Company with guidance with electric vehicles that are going to qualify for tax credits in the coming months. The changes made a new crop of vehicles eligible for credits, including electric vehicles, for the first time. But a large number of the cars no longer qualify, and some seemed like shoe-ins, like the most popular version of Tesla's Model Y, are currently left out in the cold. And the new Treasury guidelines from the Treasury Department on internal revenue services are still in flux. And while some parts of the law went into effect January 1st, the department won't finalize its rules on how to meet the battery content requirements until March. 
And those changes were set in motion by the Biden administration's Inflation Reduction Act. Signed into law last year, the legislation created new criteria to qualify for as much as $7,500 tax credit on new EVs or plug-in hybrids. First, though, the vehicle must be assembled in North America. Use a battery of at least 7 kilowatt hours or of capacity, and it can't exceed a gross weight of 14,000 pounds. If it's a van, SUV, or pickup, the manufacturer's suggested retail price can't exceed 80000 For other vehicles like sedans, the sticker price can't exceed 55000 There's also some income limits for buyers. To qualify, single buyers must have a modified adjusted gross income of $150,000 or less. Heads of households have a cap of 225000 and joint filers cannot make more than 300000 And the interesting thing is this also includes all those little options that you have on your car, but it doesn't include things like destination charges and items like taxes or fees. They don't count. But they have a rolling list of eligible vehicles on this website, along with a tool used by searchers who can search by vehicle identification number. But there are some headaches already with some of this. Tesla's popular five-seater Model Y isn't heavy enough to be categorized as an SUE by the government, meaning that $65,990 starting price makes it ineligible for that $7,500 credit. Of course, as I mentioned, Musk wasn't happy. He said messed up. Musk tweeted earlier this week, Tesla's three-row, seven-seater Model Y, on the other hand, does qualify. Tesla's not alone, though. General Motors Cadillac EV, Ford Motors Mustang Mach-E are also can't get the credit because they fail to qualify as SUVs and exceed the $55,000 MSRP price. Yeah, we're also seeing some coming changes that are going to come through. Treasury is still finalizing those guidelines. Among other things, they're going to say that the new vehicles have to be powered by batteries with 40% of its minerals are coming from, and at least 50% of the physical components from North America. In order to qualify, there's some exception for companies outside that qualify under the free trade agreement. Uh, anyway, there's also some things in here about leasing and used cars, and Joe Manchin from Virginia isn't happy because he put he helped put a lot of these things in the bill. That's why he, one reason he voted for it, then they didn't allow him to vote for the pipeline they told him they'd let him vote on. That's another topic. We're going to take a quick break. We'll leave you thinking about that one. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. Thanks for being with us. If you've been seriously injured in a collision, you need someone who will advocate for you. At Bill Coates Law, they care about your case, they care about you, and they'll stand with you to get a fair settlement. After a reckless driver injured me, I didn't want to take on the insurance companies alone, but I was also worried about paying for a lawyer. I was glad when Bill Coates told me he could represent me on a contingency fee basis. That means he only gets paid after he wins my case. I was very comfortable talking to Bill, and I was glad to have him and his team looking out for me. Bill Coates has helped good people who've been badly hurt recover full and fair compensation. You only pay attorney's fees when they win your case, and there is never any charge to meet to discuss your case in person. Bill Coates Law, helping good people who've been badly hurt recover full and fair compensation. In Bellingham, serving Whatcom Island and Skagit counties, and online at BillCoatesLaw.com. Wilson's Furniture's winter sale is going on now. Your chance to save storewide on living, dining, bedroom furniture and mattresses at the best prices of the year. Stop at Wilson's Furniture today. It's Wilson's Furniture's annual winter sale going on now. Wilson's on Pacific Highway in Ferndale. Get it. 
Nearly one in two U.S. adults have high blood pressure. That's why it's important to self-monitor your blood pressure in four easy-to-remember steps. It starts with a monitor. Be next to talk to your doctor about your blood pressure numbers. Get down with your blood pressure. Self-monitoring is power. Visit ManagerBP.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the American Heart Association, and the American Medical Association. In partnership with the Office of Minority Health and Health Resources and Services Administration. CHS Northwest has stepped out from the crowd and raised the minimum wage to $15 an hour and wants to add a few key team members. For all the locations and positions, check out chsnw.com slash employment. Join the CHS Northwest hometown team today. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. As always, if you got questions for us, give us a call, 360-733-1200. And once again, I'll put a plug in for next Saturday's show. I've got Patrick Connor from the National Federation of Independent Business. He's their Washington State Director that's joining me. For the last couple of years, Patrick has joined us and talked about uh, legislation that's uh, being proposed before the state legislature and how that can have an impact on us, especially small business. Listen in. you got questions for us. You're always able to call us here on KGM. And we'll be there next Saturday morning at 11 o'clock with Patrick Connor joining us from the NFIB. Okay, well, going to start out. I'm going to do some IRA planning information here, talk about a big increase in 23 retirement plan contributions, and some questions that you might want to ask your financial advisor. First of all, let's talk about taking an RMD quiz. Because if you have an IRA, you should know the facts that are in the account that can't stay there forever. The rules say that you must begin taking required minimum distributions from your IRA when you reach your golden years. How well do you know your RMD rules? Well, we got a little quiz for you. We're going to talk about Gary. Gary is about to embark on his retirement years. And this is done, this started for 22. He had a great year. He just retired from his job. He celebrated his 72nd birthday. He has a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA, and a 401k plan. Now, again, I'll repeat that. as a traditional IRA, a Roth IRA, and a 401k plan. The sole beneficiary of all three of his retirement accounts is his wife, Linda, age 60. So basically, we got five questions here about Gary and his required minimum distributions. And we'll tell you what the answers are as we go along. Number one, which retirement accounts will Gary need to take his RMDs from? Now, he will turn 73 this year. He turned 72 last year. So with this law change, he is in effect this year. He would have had to take the money out last year because he turned 72 last year. But now that new year, his new age is 73. So which ones do he have to take out? Does he have to take money out of his traditional IRA and a Roth IRA? Does he have to take money out of his traditional IRA and his 401k? Or does he have to take money out of all three of them? Basically, he has to take money out of the traditional IRA and the 401k plan. Be remember that you do not have to take money out of a Roth IRA. Number two, what is the deadline for Gary to take his first RMD from his traditional IRA? December 31st of 22, December 31st of 23, April 1st of this year, or April 15th of this year. Well, now we're talking about his initial year. He turned 72 last year. He actually has until April 1st of this year to take 
that first distribution. However, in taking the distribution for 22 by April 1st, he also will have to take his 2023 distribution as well. And let's talk about how we calculate his first IRA benefit, RMD amount. Should he use the IRS life expectancy table? Which one should he use? Should he use the single life or the uniform life or the joint life? In this case, he uses the joint life expectancy table. As I said, his wife, Linda, is 60. She is more than 10 years younger than him. So you do not use the uniform life expectancy table. You use the joint life expectancy table. And then on number four, Gary can satisfy the RMD from his traditional IRA by taking it instead from either his Roth or his 401k. Question for that is true or false. Again, can he take his RMD from his traditional IRA and he instead take it from his Roth or his 401k? Two questions there, true or false? And the answer there is false. You can't take money out of the Roth to satisfy your IRA and you can't take money out of the 401k to satisfy your RMD from an IRA either. You have to take it out of each type of plan. You have IRAs, you take it out of your IRAs. You have 401ks, you take it out of your 401k. And then the fifth question, if Gary fails to take his IRA RMD by the deadline, he'll be subject to what penalty? Well, that deadline, as I said here, is for him to take that money out by April 1st of this year. And A was a 6% penalty, B was 10%, C was 25%, and D was 50%. Well, under the old law, secure before this, secure 2 just passed, however, it was 50%. It was number D. Now, he could have said C, and you would have been right, because new Secure Act 2.0 changed that penalty for not taking money out to 25%. I like to have fun with those kind of things now and then. We're also seeing a big increase in the limits that you can put into your 401k plans or retirement plans. For 23, these limits are tied to inflation. Shouldn't come as a surprise that some of the limits had a big drum. Let's talk about it. IRA and Roth contributions for the first time since 2019. The annual limit for annual traditional and Roth contributions has increased. The 23 limit is $6,500. Keep in mind, this is a combined limit for traditional and Roth. So if you put $6,500, you can put some in a Roth, some in a traditional IRA. But you can't make $6,500 to each contribution. Also, if your compensation is lower than the 6500 limit, you cannot contribute more than that amount to your compensation. There is an exception that allows a married person with little or no compensation to make a spousal contribution based on their spouse's compensation. In addition, Roth IRA contributions are subject to income limits. We'll discuss that here in a second. You also have catch-up contributions for IRAs are available for any year in which you're under age 50 or older at the end of the year. The age 50 catch-up limit for traditional Roth and IRA contributions isn't tied to inflation, so it remains at $1,000 for this year. It will be tied to inflation in the future. And your Roth compensation limits, well, your modified adjusted gross income, which must be below a certain amount for you to make a direct Roth IRA contribution. For 23, if you're married, finally jointly, you can make a full contribution. If you're combined, modified adjusted growth is less than 218000 You can make a partial contribution if combined is between 218 and 228000 But you can make no contribution if your modified adjusted gross is above 228000 the 2023 phase out for single filers is 138 to 153,000. 
And even if your modified adjusted gross is too high to make a direct Roth contribution, you can still make an indirect contribution or what we call a backdoor Roth. That's a separate topic we would have to discuss with you. And you have Simplin's IRA contributions, 2023. The annual SEP contribution employer only. SEPs don't allow employee deferrals. Is 25% up to $330,000 of pay. Uh, no more than $66,000 can go into a SEP. Uh, for 22, it's 25% of up to $305,000 of pay. No more than $61,000. If you're self-employed, your business is unincorporated, your 2023 limit is actually 20% of your adjusted net earnings, still more than $66,000. And the deferral limit for simple IRA deferrals jumped from 14000 to 15005 for 2023. So simples can now put in fifteen five. The catch-up maximum went to 3500 for 2023. That's up from 3000 So if your employer has a simple, you can now put in a total of $18,500 in that simple. And workplace savings plans. There was a big increase in the 23 employment deferral limit for 401k, 403b, and 457 plans. That went from 20,500 to 22,500. The age 5 catch-up went from 6,500 to 7,500. If you're 50 or older, by December 31st of this year, you can also put away as much as $30,000 next year. Remember, that is, I mean, that's a total for this year. So 22,500 plus 7,500 is $30,000 if you're over age 50. Remember, this limit takes into account the total pre-tax and Roth contributions that make up all your plans in one calendar year. There's also a separate plan limit that regulates the amount of most contributions can be made for both employee and employer in any single year. For 2023, the overall limit is 66000 or it's 73500 if you're age 50 or over with your catch-up provision. So some really substantially big increases that are taking place for you as far as how much money you can put away. Now... We've got a repairman out here working on the sliding door. I'm doing this recording at home this day for Sunday. And the sliding door is back of the house. The track is worn. The rollers need replacing. It's no small task. The doors weigh a ton. You need one of those big suction cup things for a handle on to grip the glass. The windows must be carefully lifted out and up out of the track. It's imperative to have the tools and know-how to replace those parts. Easy for the sliding door repairman. Not easy for this homeowner. And unfortunately, not all repair people are equal. Some are great. Most are honest. Some are totally unqualified and should not be allowed into Home Depot. This range of skill, integrity, and punctuality is not limited to the handyman profession. There's good attorneys. There's bad ones. There's quality doctors and quacks. So skilled financial advisors, and there are snakes. It's important to do your due diligence when it comes to hiring anyone who claims to be an expert. The same holds true for financial professionals. Before dumping your entire piggy bank into the lap of a random advisor, be sure that she or she has the skills and experience necessary to manage such a responsibility. Regarding IRAs, there are 10 good questions to ask your advisor. Number one, IRA distribution planning requires specialized knowledge. Do you have expertise in this area? What books have you read on the topic? Number two, what, number three, what professional training do you have in IRA distribution planning? What courses or programs have you taken? Can you show me the last course manual that you received? Number four, how do you stay current on key IRA tax laws? What services or resources do you rely on to stay up to date? Can you show me a sample? Number five, what is the latest IRA tax rule that you're aware of and when did it occur?
And number six, how do you determine the best option for lump sum distributions? What are all my choices? Number seven, how 